Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for what promises to be an extremely special episode of the County Cricket Podcast is none other than everybody's favourite up-and-coming cricket journalist, Mr. Kieran McCarthy. So, Kieran, first things first, mate, thank you very much for coming back onto the podcast. Always a pleasure to chat all things county cricket with you, mates. I mean, I've got to ask, how has your day been so far? Uh, yeah, my day's been good. All the sweeter uh, a Wednesday when Yorkshire win the first game in about 18 months in uh, Red Bull cricket. Yeah, it's been a very long wait, as we'll probably discuss in tonight's episode. And for those who aren't aware, this is our round eight review show of the county championship I'm not going to give it too much of an intro, to be honest, Kieran, because we've got so much to discuss. I've got to be honest, after the first two days of action, I thought it'd be a good show. After all four days, this has the makings of a great show now. We've got so much to discuss. And to be honest, I just want to jump straight in. And what better place to start than in the southeast of England, where Surrey beat Kent by five wickets in a record-breaking counter at the Spitfire Ground in Canterbury. Now, Kent won the toss and opted to have a bat first in this clash of the Titans, a decision which appeared to have backfired rather spectacularly during the early exchanges, as the Surrey seam attack spearheaded by Aussie seamer Sean Abbott, who took figures of 452, sighed through the Kent top order within just 14 overs to leave the home side reeling on a dire score of 41 for 5. Now, to give them immense credit... Kent's middle-order duo of Jordan Cox and Joey Everson did provide an incredible riposte for the home side. Jordan Cox in particular really steadying the ship masterfully with an excellent 133 from 198 balls. Wes Agar as well chipping in with a valuable 51 from 70. As Kent salvaged this innings rather well, it has to be said, from 41 for 5, the host ultimately being dismissed for 301 runs in the 83rd over of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Surrey had an absolute shocker. And Kieran, this is my my first question of the night, to be honest, because this came as a massive shock, not just to myself, but I think a lot of county cricket fans. Surrey, with that international quality batting lineup, skittled for 145 runs within the space of 44 overs. So first things first, at this point in the game, you've just got Kent's who have scored 301 runs. Surrey have been skittled for 145. That's a big deficit, 156 runs. At this point in this game, did you ever expect Surrey to somehow salvage a result from this particular clash? Uh, th- there was a point, sort of like day two, day three, obviously when, when things weren't going fantastic for Surrey, that uh, I did assume that this might be uh, the day that they get there their first loss. Um, obviously, as you say, a, a massive deficit in the first innings um, from Kent's 301 all out to, to Surrey's 145 all out. And then Kent going on to make another uh, 300 plus total. I was thinking that um, it looked very, very difficult for Surrey to get back into it. Um, obviously, not a fantastic first innings performance with the bat. Um, but I'm sure we'll get on to very shortly. Um, they obviously managed to dig themselves out of a hole in a in a very good, uh, a very big way. 
They certainly did, and yeah, we'll get onto that in due course because that probably will be the major talking points of tonight's entire episode. It's got the entirety of Twitter going absolutely mad today, and rightfully so, because as I said, it was a record-breaking day in the southeast of England on day four in this particular match. But before we get on to Surrey's run chase, I just wanted to discuss a little bit about Kent's second innings because, as I mentioned, at this point in the game, they're in a dominant position, and Tawanda Muyeye comes out in typically classy fashion, scores a blistering 79 from 120 balls. It includes 12 boundaries. Kieran, I've got to ask about Tawanda Muyeye because he's a prodigious talent, isn't he? He's someone who's been talked about for years, who is an excellent scores cricketer down in Sussex. And he's just gone from strength to strength, now playing first 11 cricket for Kent County Cricket Club. I mean, how impressed were you with this particular knock? Because even though ultimately it has come in a losing cause, it was very fluent. He possesses a bunch of different scoring shots, which is excellent to see. And in this game, his 79 did tee up a massive total for Surrey to try and chase down. So in terms of a few words for Tawanda Muyeye, Kieran, how would you describe this guy and how big of a future do you think he's got in county cricket? I mean, it, it says something that uh, you can have England's opening batter not playing in the game and not have, not look like you've been shortchanged at all. Um, to my moving to open the batting alongside Ben Compton, who's obviously been a very good asset for Kent, um, and just in terms of uh, Division One batters as a whole, um, he looks very good um, alongside Ben Compton and Tuanda Moyer and uh, a fantastic knock from him. And obviously, he got a start in the first innings as well. Um, and as you say, the shot making um, is very easy on the eye. And he did set up what did look to be um, a win until Surrey um, snatched victory out of the jaws of defeat. Um, but a very good platform from Mieye. And as I say, um, it's not easy when you lose an England opening bat. Obviously, you know, sometimes he comes off, sometimes he doesn't. But he's opening the bat in for England for a reason. Um, and they, they don't look... Um, Mieya doesn't look out of place in in place of Crawley at all. He really doesn't. And again, I do think he's got such a high ceiling in this game. Obviously, we can't be saying England selection right now. But in terms of just players to watch out for in the future, remember the name Tawanda Muyeye. I think he's absolutely fantastic. And he did lay a great foundation, not just in this innings, but this entire game for Kent to go on and potentially win this match. And in addition to his 79, he had contributions from Daniel Bell Drummond. He scored 59 from 114. And how about Hamidullah Kadri? 72 from 85, a very fluent knock from a very talented cricketer. So at this point in the game, Kent had been bowled out for 344 runs in their second innings. So they already had a 156-run lead. Add those two together, and Surrey needed to chase down 500 and won runs in order to somehow win this game. And cometh the hour, cometh the man, Dominic Peter Sibley. Kieran, we've got to talk about this knock, because this really was the quintessential definition of a marathon knock, wasn't it? From Dom Sibley, former England opener, stayed at the crease for 580 minutes. That's nine hours and 40 minutes of the crease. And we'll get onto the records and the stats in due course. But in terms of this knock, how pivotal of a knock was this 
from Dom Sibley obviously needed some help and we'll discuss the likes of Ben Folks and, and Jamie Smith in due course. But in terms of that individual performance from Dom Sibley, how impressed were you with that knock from the vicar? Well, as you said, it was a marathon knock for, for him to be there at the start of the innings and then to also be there at the end of the innings for however long it was. I know you've got the stats there, so I'll I'll leave that to you. But just to have the mental fortitude to sit in and bat for that long and just to be the glue of that innings, um, obviously having Jamie Smith and, and Ben Folks and Tom Latham batting around him, um, just to have somebody to sit there and just annoy Kent, basically, and obviously churn the runs out while he was doing it. It's just a mental innings to to sit there for that long and just be able to grind it out in search of the win, which obviously um, I'm not going to say they, they wouldn't have won without him because, you know, they did hit a lot of runs other than Sibley, um, but he obviously gave them a much better chance than they would have had had he not been there for as long as he was. I think that's a great way of describing it, to be honest, mates. It was just pivotal, wasn't it? He laid the foundation. He was the cornerstone of this successful run chasens. Of course I have the stats. Long-term listeners of the podcast know I absolutely love a statistic in the game of cricket and we've got some great records being broken by Dom Sibley in Canterbury today. So with a total of 511 minutes spent at the crease in order to reach three figures, Dom Sibley is now the holder of the slowest hundred in county championship history in terms of minutes taken to reach three figures. The previous record of 453 minutes was set all the way back in 1994 at Stanley Park in Blackpool by Lancashire's Jason Gallion in a game against Derbyshire. With 368 balls needed in order to reach the milestone as well, this is also the slowest in terms of balls faced. So Dom Sibley really has had an incredible day today. Well, day and a half because he did bats on day three as well, but... This is just one of those innings that we will remember for years to come. We'll be talking about this for decades, if not centuries, because it's one of those knocks which has not just been a, you know, an excellent one to see for the purists, of which I won. I loved watching this innings, right? But the key thing is, it's helped his team win. It's not come in a bore draw on an absolute road. Dom Sibley has laid the foundation here, the platform for Surrey to chase this down and Obviously, it wasn't just down to Dom Sibley. He did play a major role. But we've got to talk about the two wicketkeeper batters, haven't we, Kieran? Two guys who get so many plaudits and so much credit here on the podcast. But Jamie Smith, yet again, what an extraordinary cricketer this guy is turning out to be. 77 balls, 114 runs, which included 18 fours and four sixes, a 148 strike rate in first-class cricket. Absolutely incredible. And then Ben Folks, a man with a point to prove, obviously isn't in the Ashes squad, but England's loss is Surrey's gain. And Ben Folks was absolutely magnificent in Canterbury this week. 124 from 211 balls, 15 fours, two sixes. Again, Kieran, some words on those two and their contributions. How good was that to watch? I find myself speaking about Jamie Smith very often on this podcast um, because he always seems to be impacting games in a positive manner for Surrey. And I've, I've spoken previously about the, the gears to his game, the fact that he can flick from 
going very quickly because he st struck at almost 150 for his 100 in this game. And there was one um, a few rounds back that he, he hit quite a slow, uh, I think it was 100 as well. Um, and obviously he had, um, when he was playing for England Lions in Sri Lanka, he had another very quick um, 100. And just just the fact that he's able to just flick a switch and go from attacking to defensive, not just from innings to innings, but in each innings that he can go from playing really expansive attacking shots to just sitting in and nudging the ball around and just picking gaps and managing to be a headache for the other side's captain. And then for Kent, it was obviously annoying that once they've got through Jamie Smith, there's another one. Um, and Ben Folks was, was a bit more of a, a regulation um, hundred. Um, if Sibley was one end of the scale and Jamie Smith was the, was the other end of the scale, Ben Folks was sort of slap bang in the middle, striking at almost 60 for 124. Um, but again, as you say, he's got a point to prove and he's doing himself no harm whatsoever in hitting a lot of runs for Surrey this season. Um, and continuing to do so with the Ashes just around the corner with the squad that he's not in, he's obviously going to be back in England's plans at some point in the future, uh, you would think. And as I say, he's he's doing himself no harm whatsoever with knocks like that. Well, again, it was a wonderful knock, wasn't it? And to be honest, Ben Folks is having a great time of it in a Surrey shirt this season. Over the course of six matches, 408 runs. That's an average of 51 for the Brown Caps. He is an excellent cricketer, isn't he? And let's face it, a lot of people, myself included, think he should be in the Ashes squad. But while he isn't, it's massively Surrey's game. And again, this was a very, very special knock. And obviously, Jamie Smith. We do seem to mention him every single podcast. I still think back to the knock against my county of Warwickshire at Edgebaston earlier this season. He's a cricketer who makes things happen. He really is a special talent. He's got such a high ceiling. Jamie Smith, remember the name, a bit like Tawanda. Both incredibly classy operators with incredibly high ceilings in this game that we call cricket. And as a result, mostly down to those three centuries from Dom Sibley, Jamie Smith and Ben Folks, Surrey did the unthinkable at the Spitfire grounds and successfully chased 501 runs. Now, again, I have got the facts and figures here. This is the highest run chase in Surrey County Cricket Club's history. The previous best was 410 for eight. Can you guess which county it was against? Kent, back in 2002. So, again, an unfortunate record for Kent to be a part of. But in addition to being the highest run chase in Surrey's history, it's also the second highest run chase in the history of the county championship. The only run chase which was higher than this was Middlesex's successful pursuit of 502 against Nottinghamshire at Trent Bridge in 1925. So, when we talk about historic encounters, this fits the bill. This was an incredible game of cricket, and you have to take your hats off to an extremely strong Surrey side for being able to chase this down. But Kieran, we've spent a lot of the time here rightfully praising Surrey, right? And again, they are ridiculously strong. I'm not going to ask the question about being title contenders. They're out-and-out -out favourites at this stage of the season. It will be tremendously difficult for anybody to catch them at this rate and this pace that they're setting right at the top of the table. But if we just switch the attention to Kent before we get on to our conversation about the other Division 1 matches, where does this leave Kent County Cricket Club? Because they've had a really poor start to the season. 
And I think back to last year, one of the real cruxes of Kent as a cricket club was their bowling. And yet again, it was poor in this game. After being so excellent, so ruthless in that first innings against Surrey, they completely lost their heads. And this is embarrassing, to be completely honest for Kent, isn't it? On home soil, to be given up 500 runs on what is, yes, a very good wicket. And the, the pace was good, it was consistent, it was a nice batting surface. But to do that and put in a performance like this against your biggest rival as well. You know, these are historic rivals, aren't they, in county cricket? Kent and Surrey. They are two sides which are powerhouses of southern crickets. In terms of the wider picture, with Kent towards the bottom of the table already at this stage of the season, where does this result leave the White Horse? It's tough because um, they've not been fantastic generally this season with the bat. They've got one of the lowest um, uh, totals of batting bonus points um, out of anyone. Um, I think there's only a couple of sides that have got less. Um, but actually, generally, with the ball, they have been quite strong. Um, and as you say, it is sort of, you do have to be cutthroat in, in games like this. Um, I know it's tough for any side to to come and affect a resort against Surrey. They're the best side in, in the division. Um, and looking at the top order, there's a lot of international players or just international quality players. But having bowled them out for 145 in the first innings, that showed Kent that they are able to do it and not having done it in the second inning sort of shows they kind of rolled over. I'm not going to say that they didn't try because obviously a lot, you're not going to just sit in and not try when you've got a side that needs to chase 501. But you would expect after having bowled them out for 145 that you would um, at least have a, a better go of bowling Surrey out than just having them five down when they were chasing 501. So um, I don't think the bowling has been the problem. As I say, it has been the batting. But in games like this, you, you need to find a way to, to win at, at all costs. And if they don't do that in other games when they're in similar situations, they are very much going to struggle. And as we've alluded to there, they are sort of in danger already. So they, they need to find a way to win in, in future or they're going to continue having the problems that they are. Well, they will, Kieran. I think that's a nice way of putting it, to be honest. And I do hope that Kent can turn this around. I, I really do. You know, I don't want to see them towards the bottom stages of the competition. But again, conceding 501 runs in a fourth innings, the fact that it's not even been done since 1925, it's been 98 years since that's happened. Yeah, I mean, it's a testament to the strength of Surrey, but again, a desperately disappointing match for Kent. And fingers crossed for the Kent fans tuning in to tonight's episode, things can turn around because if they don't, yeah, it's looking like another dogfight at the bottom stages of the Division 1 table over the course of 2023. But Kieran, aside then from that incredible encounter at the Spitfire ground between Surrey and Kent, let's turn our attention to another southeastern county. Let's go to Wessex beat Somerset by 196 runs. Now, Essex won the toss and elected to have a back in this game, a decision which appeared to have paid off rather nicely, didn't it, in the early exchanges of this encounter, as the man, the myth, the legend himself, Sir Alistair Cook, racked up his 74th career first-class century to put Essex in a commanding position. They were 462 for nine declared by the end of 119 first innings overs. Now, Kieran, before we discuss the rest of this game, 
and we also discussed the controversy which we saw down in Chelmsford this week. A few words on the legendary Sir Alistair Cook. Chef cooked up something special, didn't he? On home soil this week. A 74th career, first-class century. It's been a glittering career for a master of this game that we call crickets. A few words on Chef, if you can, Kieran. How good was that knock? It's oh, it's just silly that he's he's this age and that he, he retired from playing international cricket like five years ago now and that he's still managing to churn out massive runs like this week in, week out. And we spoke when they uh, played knots about the fact that he he just missed out on, on 100 there on what would have been the 74th first-class 100 of his career. And like the fine margins that are involved, you're probably going to look back at, at the back end of your career and kick yourself. But also he'd count 73 of them at that point. He's probably not too bothered about another one, but every time he gets one, it just shows how much of a phenomenal cricketer he is. And the fact that he scored so many test runs um, shows how good he, he was then. And and I think I said after that Notts game that he looks like he probably could still play for England and he still does now. He's still one of the best openers in the country and just shows pretty much every week that he's still a very impactful cricketer and Essex are obviously um, very well off for that at the the moment when he's putting in hundreds like this. Well, they are. I mean, it's massively Essex's gain, isn't it? And he is just a timeless master of the game of cricket. I love watching Sir Alistair Cook in full flow. And again, that was a typically classy knock from an incredibly classy operator. And someone else who I've got to say from a batting perspective for Essex this week, who really impressed me, Matt Critchley. Matt Critchley, yet again, he is one of the best uncapped cricketers in the county circuit. 121 from 143 deliveries, which included 19 fours and a six. Again, it's one of those knocks which came at a really important time for Essex in this particular match. So they did suffer a little bit of a wobble. They were 188 for three at one point, which admittedly isn't a ridiculous wobble, but they were in a better position beforehand. But yeah, he just steadied the ship excellently. I've got to say that partnership between him and Cook, absolutely magnificent to watch. So Matt Critchley, again, definitely someone worthy of a shout out from an Essex perspective this week. Now, in response to this, Somerset got off to an absolutely shocking start in their first innings. They were 10 for three within the first three overs, which put them off to a really, really poor standing in this particular game. They were just scrambling for any sort of momentum. Now, to give him a lot of credit, Sean Dixon did put together a valuable riposte for the visitors in Chelmsford this week, scoring an 82 from 180 deliveries, which included 10 fours to take the visitors up to a slightly more respectable but still very lowly score of 167 all out by the end of their first innings. As Simon Harmer, he took 5 for 64, and Jamie Porter, taking figures of 3 for 38, did the damage for Essex in excellent fashion on home soil. However, Kieran, we've got to discuss a certain moment of controversy in that particular innings. I can see the Roy smile appearing on your face because you know exactly what's coming, but the dismissal of Craig Overton. For those who don't know and haven't seen this, on the scorecard, it'll say Bold Harmer caught Brown. For those who watched the live stream or were there in attendance at the Cloud County ground, the story was very different, wasn't it? I mean, I've got to ask your opinion on this, Kieran, because having rewatched the footage, 
it's a horrendous decision. It really is. Would it have impacted this game looking at the final results? Probably not. But in terms of the umpiring standards in this country, it wasn't a great showing, was it, for the county championship? I think, to be fair to the umpires, I'm not saying it was a good decision. It's obviously a very poor decision. What I would say is the the video that we've seen and that, that a lot of people would have seen on Twitter, you have the benefit of the fact that it has been slowed down and on first watch, when you watch it slow down, it looks terrible. If you were to watch it at full speed, it probably looks like I can understand why Essex might have gone up. But surely Nick Brown understands, like he knows that that's bounced in front of him. I'm not sure how it would have ballooned up like that had it not bounced, if it had come straight off his foot or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's not a great look for, for umpires. And even like, if you're not 100% sure that that's out, surely you're going to give the benefit benefit of the doubt to the batter rather than just assume that it's out because all of the Essex fielders have gone up. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't fantastic. Um, but as I say, like, it looks um, a lot worse when you watch it in slow motion, which the video on Twitter obviously has been slowed down. Um, but, yeah, not great. It wasn't great. And to be honest, I did watch it in real time. And the, the big giveaway for me personally, fair enough. And the other thing which I suppose you could say in the umpire's favour, I think it was, was it Dixon at the other end? It must have been Sean Dixon, was in his eye line, right? So that could have obstructed it. But the problem for me when watching that in real time was the physics of the ball. Because if that would have hit Nick Brown on the full, it wouldn't have popped up like that. Yeah. So straight away I was like, hang on, is that a bump ball or has it hit the ground? And then when the replay came in, I was like, oh my word, Craig Overton has been done like a kipper there. I felt really, really bad for him. And obviously, <laughs> there were some, there was some fuel added to the flames, wasn't there, on social media when Somerset decided to reshare it. They did slow it down. And yeah, that was the, the big controversial moments in the championship this week. But as I said, aside from that moment of controversy, Essex yet again, absolutely clinical with the ball in hand. And this was the other surprising thing, actually, from this particular game, Kieran, the other big talking point, Essex's decision not to follow on. Now, what did you make of that? Because I quite liked it. Some people didn't, right? But the reason why I quite liked it and understood it is because we're in the middle of the T20 blast and you've got to keep the bowlers fresh. It wasn't like other teams, let's say Warwickshire, for example, who had basically fresh, fit-firing bowlers. Essex do also have two competitions to switch between these you know, these bowling lineups, and they've got to keep these guys, you know, like Harmer, Porter, Cook, they've got to keep them fresh. So what did you make of Tom Westley's decision not to enforce the follow-on in this particular match? Well, as you say, it's sort of about protecting the bowlers, and Essex for a lot of the season have had um, Shane Snater and Doug Bracewell to call upon, as well as the bowlers that have been playing in this game, both of which, um, I know Doug Bracewell injured himself, uh, I think it was in the warm-up for this game, um, not sure about Shane Snater, but I assume he's probably injured, which um, is why he wasn't playing. Um, but potentially just being rested, as, as you say, they have got two competitions to um, to keep the players fit for. So I, I fully understand and, and respect the decision from Tom Wesley not to have his bowlers um, go out again uh, and have another bowl after having done so um, for, for so long. And th the decision sort of paid dividends because... In the first innings, and it was a spin bowler, but Simon Harmer bowled 25 overs. Um, and he bowled, I think it was 42 in this in um 
Somerset's second innings? Yeah, it was. So had he just come back out and started bowling again, he would have bowled far too much. And as Essex's best bowler, you don't really want to break him um, because he's the linchpin of that bowling attack. So very much understandable, the decision from Tom Westing not to send his bowlers back out. Um, and it also paid dividends in the fact that they got a good lead and they decided we'll declare again, which um, shows how good the, the batting lineup was in this game, that they had the luxury of being able to declare once, go bolster Somerset out, bat again, declare again, and still manage to win the game. And I think that's the key thing to take away, isn't it? I mean, it's that bowling attack for me for Essex. Don't get me wrong, Matt Critchley yet again in that second innings, very impressive. A quick 552 from 72 balls, including five fours and two sixes. But it's that Essex seam attack, and it's complemented by two high-quality spin bowlers in Matt Critchley and Simon Harmer. And as you said, Kieran, 170 runs in that second innings gave Somerset a mammoth total of 466 to chase down in their second innings. And to give credit to Somerset, they did give it a good go. Tom Abel in particular, with a battling 83 from 207 balls. But that Essex bowling attack are just far too clinical in Chelmsford. It's as simple as that. I know Harmer did end up bowling an awful lot of overs, 42, as you said, Kieran, with figures of 3 for 114, but Jamie Porter, 3 for 31. And if we look at Jamie Porter's performances in the Championship so far this season, Right, he's been very impressive. He's Essex's leading wicket-taker so far, with 27 wickets at 20.32. So, again, just from a personal perspective, I've got a lot of time for Jamie Porter, so I'm absolutely delighted to see him performing and taking wickets in an Essex shirt yet again in Red Bull cricket. And for Essex, this is a big win. This keeps them in the title race. Yes, Surrey are the out-and-out favourites, but Essex are just there. They're dark horses, I think. And given the fact that their next game is against Warwickshire, if they do win that, yeah, they are right back in the mix, depending on how Surrey perform against Lancashire down at the Oval. But aside from Essex, Kieran, just before we move on, actually, to Lancashire's game against Hampshire in Southport, a few words on Somersets. Again, what do you think they'll be thinking and feeling after this performance? Because, yes, it's disappointing, but again, Essex are ridiculously strong at home, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And I think the fact that um, Simon Harmer bowled so many overs in this game, uh, obviously, as we alluded to, a couple of bowlers not being um, available, but he's a very good bowler. Um, and Chelmsford famed for the fact that it does spin quite a lot. Um, so it's uh, it, it's difficult to play at Chelmsford when Simon Harmer's in the side and Matt Critchley took a couple of useful wickets as well. So um, to play against a side with both of those guys in it and, as you said, the, um, the seam attack uh, headed by Jamie Porter and obviously Sam Cook as well. Um, I don't think Somerset will have too many problems with the fact that they've lost um, away at Chelmsford against an Essex side that have got that bowling attack, to be honest. Well, I'd echo that sentiment, to be honest. Obviously, it's disappointing to lose a game, but again, in that second innings, I'm glad that they showed some fights. And to be honest as well, another thing for Somerset fans looking at the bigger picture, it's good to see Sean Dixon in the runs. It really is, because he had a rough start to the season, didn't he? So to see him now getting some confidence and rhythm at the top of the order, that is a positive sign. So, 
Yeah, a, a disappointing week for Somerset's, an excellent week for Essex. And again, another good game of cricket. A shame that it was marred by a little bit of controversy with that Craig Overton dismissal. But other than that, great game of cricket, pulsating action down in the southeast. And yeah, I've got to say, very impressed with Essex County Cricket Club. I think that'll be a great game between them and the Bairn Ragged staff of Warwickshire starting on the 25th of June in just over a week's time. But aside from that game then, that clash down in Chelmsford, Kieran, let's turn our attention to the northwest of England. Let's go to Southport Cricket Club, where Lancashire recorded their first victory of the 2023 County Championship with a fine six-wicket victory over Hampshire. Now, Lancashire won the toss and opted to have a bowl first in this encounter, a decision which, to be honest, paid off masterfully in the opening exchanges as the clinical Lancashire bowling attack spearheaded by Will Williams and Tom Bailey cut through Hampshire's lineup with complete and utter ease to leave the shell-shocked visitors all out for 142 runs within just 60.4 overs on what seemed like a very good batting track. And right off the bat, Kieran, we've got to talk about Lancashire's bowling display in that first innings, and in particular, that seam duo of Will Williams and Tom Bailey. How impressed were you with their performances, in particular with the new ball in hand in Southport this week? Um, it's, it's really impressive, Lancashire's, um, yeah, th- those couple of seamers. I know Tom Bailey had a fantastic season um, last time out. He was one of the top wicket takers in um, Division 1. Uh, I can't remember exactly how many wickets he took, but it it, it was a lot. Um, and Will Williams as, as well, last season being his first at Lancashire, was a, a, a very good season. And, and they've followed that up really nicely here. And to be honest, I mean, Hampshire's batting lineup hasn't been the strongest, but there are some batters. Um, Fletcher Middleton's been good um, for a lot of the season. Uh, obviously, his, his maiden season in uh, Red Bull cricket. James Vince, obviously, um, everybody knows what what he offers in in each form of the game, and he has been the best member of that that batting lineup. Um, but there are a lot of good players in in this Hampshire side that that can hold a bat and that that can be very useful. So, um, for them to be bowled out for such a low total earlier does show um, just how useful the Lancashire bowlers are, um, and. Yeah, very much showed that in the first innings. Well, I've got to say personally, I was really impressed. I really was, in particular with Williams. I mean, he's been a great signing, hasn't he, since joining the club last season. He's just been a revelation. And the fact that they've got him as a local player, it just offers so many more options in terms of the overseas department, as we'll discuss with the knock from a certain Dane Villas. But talking of excellent Lancashire batting, let's turn our attention to the Red Roses' first innings. And Kieran, we've got to talk about Phil Salt because I couldn't believe that this was his first century in a Lank shirt. I mean, it has taken a while, and I say that as a big fan of Phil Salt because he's an excellent cricketer, but it was so satisfying to see him lift off the helmet, raise the bat, celebrate three figures. And it was just a great knock. 103 from 139 balls, 14 boundaries, thrown in there for good measure. And to be honest, I just thought he he adapted to the game situation very well. I thought he played the situation very nicely. And again, a bit like Sibley, obviously a very different knock to Sibley, but in terms of the same manner of laying a foundation, he did set the platform very nicely for Lancashire in this particular game to go on 
and get a big first innings lead. So in terms of that 103 courtesy of the Bodawadam Bradman, Mr. McCarthy, a few words. How impressed were you with that knock from Phil Salt? Yeah, I'm also a massive fan of Phil Salt. Um, I, is it fair to say that it's somewhat incongruous to see him playing first-class cricket? I know he's played a lot of first-class cricket, but you, you just sort of see him as a, as a T20 cricketer, which seems unfair um, as an indictment of his skill set, because as he showed in this game, he's a very good red ball batter as well. And yeah, as you said, a fantastic foundation. And he was the um, driving force in the Lancashire first innings total, the only batter to get more than 70. Um, and that put them on track for um, the win after obviously having bowled Hampshire out for such a low total in the in their first innings. And it was vital, wasn't it? Let's face it, I know we go back to that word, but it was pivotal. It really was from Phil Salt. And yes, I, I do agree, he's more of a white ball player, isn't he? I, I see Phil Salt as more of a white ball player, but I've got to say, if he's going to produce innings like this, very, very useful for the Red Rose of Lancashire County Cricket Club. And as a result of that 103 courtesy of Phil Salt, as well as contributions from Daryl Mitchell, he scored 68 from 85, and George Bell, who's having a great season, in a Lancashire scoring 45 from 75 deliveries. Lanks ultimately got bowled out for 374 runs by the end of their first innings, with Felix Organ taking career best figures of 6 for 67. So again, even though Lanks at this point were in control of the game, shout out to Felix Organ. I thought he bowled very nicely. And there were a couple of absolute jaffers in there. So shout out to Felix Organ for this particular game. But given the fact that there was such a big deficit, at this point, Hampshire did put up quite a valuable repost. So Fletcher Middleton, he scored 77, Nick Gubbins scoring 62, and James Vince producing a typically masterful 87 did give Hampshire a bit of a sniff in this game as they amassed 371 runs over the course of their second innings. But thankfully for the home fans at Southport Cricket Club this week, Dane Villas came to the party in superb fashion anchoring the innings excellently with a brilliant 64 net outs from 85 deliveries consisting of six fours and one six in there to boot to ultimately guide Lancashire home to an invaluable six-wicket victory against the Rosen Crown of Hampshire County Cricket Club. So a brilliant performance overall from Lanks. I think that goes without saying. And they have been producing little bits and pieces of performances like this over the course of the season. They've been dropping some hints in particular games, but this was the complete package from the home side. And just one <laughs> one thing I have to mention, Kieran, before we talk about Hampshire, but just to deviate ever so slightly, because I do need to mention this, but I'm not sure if you're listening to the commentary this week in this particular game, but there was a very, very funny moment where someone, <laughs> where someone emailed in to BBC Radio Lancashire, pretending to be Jerry St. Clair from Phoenix Knights. And I've got to be completely honest, it was very unexpected. I was in tears watching it back. And so whoever did that, you're an absolute hero. I don't know what the the purpose of it was. I don't know if it was a bit of a troll or a bit of a prank, but <laughs> it made me laugh. So shout out to the, the person out there who pretended to be Jerry St. Clair. I never thought I'd hear that on an episode of the County Cricket Podcast. But Kieran, aside from Lanks, who, as I mentioned, really good performance, great to see Dane Villas back in form as well. 
some desperately needed runs from the former Lancashire captain guiding his team home. But aside from Lanks, the big question here surrounds Hampshire. Where does this leave them? Because in terms of points, they're still up there. So they're third in the table. But that is now their third loss of the season. In your opinion, Mr McCarthy, is Hampshire's title race over as a result of this defeat? Or do you think there's still an outside chance of them maybe, just maybe, contending for the title? In 2023, in fairness, like since the first week of the season, I've thought everybody other than Surrey's title race is over, um, and they keep showing every week why that is. Um, but they're not out of touching distance of Warwickshire in second. Um, obviously, having played a game less, but they are quite close to them. So if they can remain sort of in um, touching distance with Warwickshire. And then potentially if Surrey slip up later down the line, I reckon they can they can still keep themselves um, in the race. Uh, it's not like, it's not as if they're way off the pace now. You know, they're still very much in contention. Um, they're just having lost a, a game against Lancashire, who a lot of people thought at the start of the season were going to be um, one of the title favourites. So I, I think as long as they, they don't... Um, go on a losing streak off the back of this, which I don't assume they will. I think they can very much still keep themselves in contention for at least second place. I'd agree with that, to be honest, Kieran. I think when when we talk about Hampshire, it's always the bowling, isn't it? With the likes of Abbas, Abbott, Barker, good to see Organ in the wickets. And of course, you've got Liam Dawson in there for good measure. So they do have the capabilities of mounting a, a strong second half of the season. But I, I don't know now. I, I think it's the batting to be completely honest, yet again. And yes, we are seeing contributions from Vince, from Gubbins, from Middleton, but it's just not on a consistent enough basis, is it? I think to really challenge a team like Surrey for for the title in this season's championship. But again, we'll have to wait and see. Hampshire a funny team. Hampshire a team which will have performances like this and then skittle aside out for less than 150 the following week and get a dominant win on the board. So only time will tell. But yeah, I think as for Lancashire, Aside from Hampshire, he'll be very disappointed. Great win for Lanx. And I'm really happy for the Lanx fans because it's been a rough start to the season. A lot of people, myself included, had them as title favourites. I still think they're in there, you know. I think they are an outside chance if they win their game in hand. That's the big if. But if they win their game in hands, they're right back in the top three. So we'll have to wait and see how the Red Rose do. But after those, those consecutive draws to start the season, on the sixth time of asking... I'm glad that Lanks have finally got a win on the board. So, yeah, I'm happy for your Lanks fans and fingers crossed they can turn this into some momentum and maybe get a victory over Surrey at the Oval. Make things interesting in this year's Division 1 title race. But, Kieran, aside then from that game between Lanks and Hampshire and Southport, let's turn our attention to the fourth and final game in Division 1 this week, which saw Nottinghamshire and my county of Warwickshire play out an extremely high-scoring draw at Trent Bridge. Now, Warwickshire won the toss and elected to have a bat first in the East Midlands this week, a decision which paid off absolutely phenomenally. As the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr Samuel Robert Hayne, hashtag Sam Hayne for England, the best uncapped cricketer on planet Earth, put together an exhibition in Red Bull crickets in the opening exchanges of this encounter, scoring 100 from 192 balls, alongside the likes of Vice-Captain Alex Davis, who scored a very useful 93 from 157 balls, Dan Mosley, who chipped in with a barnstorming 87 from 113, 
And then Michael Burgess, 77 outs from just 100 balls, ultimately helping take Warwickshire up to a mammoth total of 571 for nine declared by the end of their first innings. This is the second highest ever total for the Bears at Trent Bridge against Nottinghamshire County Cricket Club. So, Kieran, right off the bat, how impressed were you with that performance from the Bears, in particular from Sam Hain, who obviously will get the majority of the plaudits because he anchored that innings. He was the only one who reached three figures. But even aside from Sam Hain, who is the foreman for Warwickshire County Cricket Club, it was really refreshing to see such pivotal contributions from the likes of Alex Davis, Dan Mosley and Michael Burgess, wasn't it? It was a really complete batting performance from the Bear and Ragged staff in Nottingham this week. It's not like Sam Hain to get runs at Trent Bridge, is it? Yeah, um, Sam Hain's very good at cricket. Um, I genuinely, I struggle to find words to say about Sam Hain anymore because um, he just does it every week, like in every format. And it's just silly that he's not played for England yet. But yeah, it, I mean, the best way of banging the door down is to keep it in big hundreds, which he is doing. Um, and yeah, he is sort of the uh, the driving force in a lot of um, Warwickshire wins or draws or hitting big scores and, and whatever. Um, but yeah, as you say, nice to see um, a lot of people hitting runs around him, which has been the case for, for a lot of the season. Um, Alex Davis has, has been good for a lot of the season. I think he hit a hundred early on, didn't he? Um, Dan Mosley had a very good T20 uh, block. Um, I think the, the the maiden first class hundred still eludes him, doesn't it? He, he was quite close um, a few rounds back and and basically tried to push on on a game and, and got himself out doing that. And again, he just looks a very accomplished batter in, in red ball as well as white ball. Um, and as you say, Michael Burgess, 77 not out at the end. It was a very good knock. And you've not even mentioned Hassan Ali, who just tore the Nottinghamshire bowling attack to pieces. And I'm a firm believer that, that lower order runs are the best kind of runs um, because people that low down in the order aren't supposed to be getting runs. But Hassan Ali just looks every game like he's going to take people to pieces. And he has done there. And obviously it ended up in a very big Warwickshire score. Well, Kieran, you've you've completely taken the words out of my mouth. I was holding fire when it came to Hassan Ali because I wanted to give him a bit more of an extended mention, to be honest, because as you said, it's great to see the tail wagon. It's something which we see so often with Surrey, isn't it? And it has been a characteristic behind their dominance in the first division. That really was a blistering knot, wasn't it? 54 from 36 balls which included five sixes, and they were big sixes against Calvin Harrison and Stephen Mullaney. So again, Hassan, he's been a revelation for the Bears. So I think back to the 50 that he scored against Essex as well, alongside Oliver Hannon-Dolby. He's a difference maker. He's an X factor, not just with the bat, but of course with the ball as well. You know, you look at the averages for the Bears, he's got the second best average as well. 22 wickets, that's an average of 19.39. He's been a great signing, and it's going to be such a shame to see him depart the club in July. And if I'm Warwickshire, I'm getting him straight back for 2024. I think he's been a revelation both on and off the field. And talking of his bowling, his bowling in Nottinghamshire's first innings was very impressive. Took figures of three for 30 
as the Bears steamrolled the home side for just 155 runs within 56 overs and what seemed to be a very good batting track at Trent Bridge. But after that initial struggle, Knotts really did begin to settle quite nicely in this game. And this is where we have to discuss a, a mammoth knock from Joe Clark, because a, a lot of people have described this knock as outstanding. I don't think that, that actually has the, the right brevity, because the bloke literally carried this innings on his back. You know, 229 out from 365 balls, 35 fours and a six. And we, we spoke earlier about Phil Saltz. Phil Salt is very much in that white ball camp, isn't he? We, we're used to seeing him score big runs in, in 50 over and T20 crickets. Joe Clark, for a lot of people, is in that same kind of, of group, isn't he? And yet in this game, to survive for 365 balls against top quality bowling, the Bears really did try every single plan against him. And he had an answer to every single one. It was an exhibition in temperaments and refinements. And it was a great, great knock. So... Kieran, I've got to say, obviously I was frustrated because I wish the Bears would have got him out because we probably would have won the game had we have got the breakthrough. But just a few words on that knock. It really was the definition of, of match-defining, wasn't it, from Joe Clark this week? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I looked, I can't remember what time it was at, but um, I think he was on maybe 160 or something. Um and obviously at that point, the, the game's hanging in the balance. Nottinghamshire was still below Warwickshire's total. Um, and had Joe Clark got, gotten out, obviously there's potential that there could be, um, there's obviously potential that there could have been a lot more wickets lost and Nottinghamshire could have let that game get away, get away from them. Um, as it happens, Joe Clark pushed on and got another 60-odd runs. And when I looked again at, at the end of the game... Obviously, saw that he he hit two hundred not out, two hundred twenty two not out. So, um, yeah, a very good knock, and um, as you say, literally the definition of of match defining. Because without him, yeah, there was a very good chance that Warwickshire would have cut through the rest of um, the knots batting lineup and could have romped home to a win. Whereas Joe Clark was the reason that that didn't happen. He was. I mean, obviously cricket is is a team sport, but again, in terms of just key individual knocks, that was the one in this game. 229 outs, fair play. You know, as I said, I was frustrated. I'm a little bit disappointed that the Bears didn't get the extra 11 points, but given the fact that it was a very good batting deck, it really was for all four days, just true, consistent bounce, beautiful to bat on. I mean... I'm not overly disappointed with the result because I'll take 12 points, but yeah, it would have been nice. would have been nice just to close the gap on Surrey, but again, there's still plenty of cricket to be played. Anything can happen in this wonderful competition that we call the County Championship. But aside from Joe Clark's double ton as well, Calvin Harrison, I've got to say, really impressed me as well with his resilience and his resolve. He, he just battled away with a gritty 38 out from 142 deliveries and ultimately, Knotts did salvage this game excellently didn't they 464 for six by the end of that second innings 153 overs of bowling faced and ultimately this did provide the home side with five crucial points now if we look at the the table standings these are five big points are they for knots and Kieran I mean this is an obvious question but of the two sides 
Nottinghamshire will be by far and away the happier team, won't they? Given the situation that they were in on the third day, to have batted for an entire day, to have ground down and, and worn down that incredibly strong and, and clinical Warwickshire bowling attack, it was some performance, wasn't it, from the home side at Trent Bridge in particular on this fourth and final day? Yeah, absolutely. And when you're chasing a total that's, um, well, not chasing, but, um, you know, attempting to get to a total so, so that, um, you know, you don't lose the game. Um, when it's that big, I assume for, for sides, I mean, in, I mentioned earlier about um, the, the sort of mental resolve of, of Don Sibley for, for batting for so long. When you're chasing a massive score like that, it can't be easy to... Um, to just sit in and, and chip away at the score and because I assume it, it, it just looks like it's going nowhere um, because it is such a big number. So for not to manage to do that and for for all of the batters basically that, that face as many balls as they did, I mean, Joe Clark obviously faced the most out of anyone, but as you say, Calvin Harrison sat in for a long time and, and showed a lot of resolve um, to sit in there. Knots will, of course, yeah, be the happier of the two sides because that they managed to to sit in and ensure that they didn't roll over and, and didn't lose the game. Yeah, they certainly will. And again, fair play. I, th- I think a draw is probably the fair result, to be honest, given the the state of play at the end of day four. Because I thought Warwickshire batted excellently. Knots did have that struggle in the first innings, but then again, they learned their lessons. It was as simple as that. They were throwing their wickets when that first innings to the Bears and. Yeah, come the second innings, they'd learnt their lessons. They provided themselves with a far better foundation to build a proper innings off of. And yeah, in the end, five valuable points. To be honest, I'm not too disappointed as a Bears fan. I've seen some comments today on Twitter, people saying we threw it away. I don't think that's fair, to be honest. I think the Bears did put in a hell of a lot of efforts. And ultimately, Joe Clark just put in a special knock. They happen. So for the Bears... Rest and recuperates. If your name is Chris Rushworth or Oliver Hannon Dolby, a lot of bowling from that pair in this particular encounter. But again, I've got to say those first three days, great cricket. And I did thoroughly enjoy watching those first three days. So again, I do think that's a fair result between Nottinghamshire and Warwickshire in this particular match at Trent Bridge. But talking of that game then, and those valuable points for both Nottinghamshire and Warwickshire, let's take a look at the Division 1 table at the end of the eighth round. Now, unsurprisingly, by far and away, at the top of the first division at the end of this round are Surrey, 120 points. In second, a Warwickshire, 91 points, with a game in hand. So again, that game in hand will be massive come Super September. In third, on 82 points, are Hampshire. In fourth, also on 82 points, are Essex. In 5th and 6th are Nottinghamshire and Somerset on 75 points and 69 points respectively. In 7th are Lancashire on 68 points with a game in hand over those previous two sides. In 8th are Middlesex on 50 points also with a game in hand. In ninth are Kent on 48 points and in 10th also with a game in hand are Northamptonshire on 38 points. So the first division is shaping up to be very interesting. Obviously Surrey are the out-and-out favourites by this point. There is a bit of a mid-table pack now, from two down to about seven, I think. And then you've got three teams in Middlesex, Kent and North Ants, who seem to be struggling for any kind of rhythm and momentum. So, again, we're eight rounds in. There's still a lot of cricket to be played, but you are beginning to see the striation 
in Division 1. So it will be interesting to see what happens at the conclusion of the ninth round to see if Lancashire could maybe upset Surrey and just bring the title race open again. Only time will tell. But Kieran, aside then from the first division, let's turn our attention to Division 2. And to be honest, because I let Matt's wax lyrical about Yorkshire County Cricket Club on the T20 Blast Review show, I think we've got to start at Queen's Park, haven't we? In Chesterfield, where Yorkshire beat Derbyshire by three wickets in a thrilling encounter. So, Kieran, as our resident Yorkshire fan, take me through the game and take me through the feeling of satisfaction that you got from seeing Yorkshire finally win a county championship match in the year 2023. <laughs> well, it's obviously good. Um, I think the last win was literally the first game of last season. Um, so however many games that is, it's a lot. Um, but it, it, it did look like it was going to be a lot easier um, after sort of, obviously, Derbyshire were bowled out in the first session of the first day. Um, after the first sort of couple of hours, they were 60-odd for six. Um, Matt Fisher and Ben Code essentially just ripped through the top order. Um, Deploy had a little bit of a, um, a fight back, but, you know, not massive. Um, and then, yeah, as I say, Yorkshire managed to, to bowl Derbyshire out for just 111, literally within the first session. And then, um, you know, thanks to Adam Lythe, Shan Masood, uh, a century from David Milan, who's, you know, had a very good period of T20 cricket and seems to have taken that into the Red Bull game. Um, Yorkshire put on a big score and then Derbyshire were reduced to, I think it was 17 for four or something, a really low total again. And at that point, you're looking at the game as if Yorkshire, have, you know, you're going to put the their foot on on Derbyshire's necks and and not let up. And it should have been a much easier win than it was. Um, as it turned out, Deploy um, again made a good knock, a much better one this time than than the one in the first innings here on 170 um, alongside. Um, Hyder Ali, who'd been dropped down the order because he's not really been getting many runs. So, I mean, for that, uh, from that point of view, not being able to get Hyder Ali out, who has had a poor start of the season, so shows a lack of that killer instinct that that we've mentioned for for a couple of sides so far. Um, taking nothing away from the partnership for Derbyshire because for Deploy and um, Ali to put on as many runs as they did, I think it was. Um, between 250 and 300 partnership um, was massive and then Brooke Guest also um, hit a decent amount of runs as did Alex Thompson um, but at, at that point it shouldn't have really got to that point because Yorkshire should have really ripped through the, the rest of the, the attack and then it did actually get a little bit nervy um, towards the back end of, of the third day and then and then this morning when um obviously Lythe got out Lythe and Bean made a good start to the final um innings to make inroads into the total both of which got out um George Hill got run out without scoring thanks to a mix up with Sean Masood Johnny Tassel was out for um a decent score but 
put on on the evening of the third day. Matt Fisher came in as as night watchman, got out to Mark Watt. Matt Revis then got out to Mark Watt, and then David Milan, having been pushed very far down the order, um, partly because I assume George Hill was put in at, at four for the left hand right hand partnership with with Sean Massoud, um, Johnny Tattersall possibly similar, and then obviously Fisher. Um, Night Watchman and then Revis would have probably just come in anyway but those are all, all right-handers. For Milan to get out for nothing on, on the first ball of the last morning it did get very nervy um, and luckily Sean Massoud continued um, in the way that he's looked at all game that he was the best batter um, in the second innings and other than David Milan he was the best batter in the first innings and Don Bess um Hasn't had a fantastic season either with the bat or the ball in red ball, but looked very good 41 from 41. And without him, it could have been a, a lot more nervy than it was. But um, just as a whole, there are always positives generally this season from a Yorkshire point of view, where um, even though they haven't been able to get over the line, um, there have been some positives. Whereas this game did manage to get over the line, obviously, a lot of positives, but a lack of killer instinct that on another day could have gone against them. And I think that's important to note, isn't it? Because it did get a little bit nervy. This was a team which you could tell had forgotten how to win in four-day cricket because it was a long time coming, wasn't it? 17 games it's taken for Yorkshire to wrap up another victory in the format. But I must say they did thoroughly deserve it this week. As you mentioned, Kieran, Milan was excellent. Masood was brilliant. And Ben Code, in particular, on that first morning, I just wanted to touch upon his bowling prowess in a little bit more detail because we have a lot of conversations, don't we, here in England about seamers and potentially being England targets. But I just look at Ben Code as a bowler, right? And you look at his, his, his career, 57 matches, 226 wickets at an average of 20.2. And fair enough, some people right off the bat will say, oh, well, he's bowling in Division 2 right now. But in the past, he's been in Division 1 and he's been successful. So... In terms of that wider conversation, do you think Ben Code maybe one day could push for England selection or do you think it's a bit too late now? Where are you when it comes to the debate on on Rippon's finest? I have thought that previously. I think when Matt Fisher got his test call up in the West Indies, um, it would have been a couple of years ago now or a year and a half ago, whenever it was, it was over the winter. Um and I think he played one or two tests. Um, and, and I thought similar then that of Yorkshire's seam attack for a prolonged period, Ben Code has been the best option that Yorkshire have had. And as you say, has taken a lot of wickets over that prolonged period. Um, I think the drawback from Ben Code's point of view is that he's not as quick as Matt Fisher or, or a lot of people where um, in county cricket, you can sort of get away with bowling low to mid 70s and you're still going to be able to nip it around and and get batters out whereas when you take the step up to the next level the batters are a lot better and it's a lot easier for people to pick you off and um that sort of medium to to medium fast pace isn't really what you're looking for um so as somebody who who has got a lot of skills um as a red ball bowler you can't knock the skills that he's got and the statistics that he puts up season on season. I just think the fact that he isn't a little bit quicker 
is probably what's what's letting him down and I don't think he will be looked at by England because of that. It is a shame though, isn't it? Because again, I think he's had a fine career and when we talk about underrated seam bowlers, his name always pops up for me. I think he's just been a model operator for Yorkshire for a number of years and I suppose now the other thing probably is age because he's 29, which isn't it's not old by any means, but when you look at this new crop that England's are producing, they're usually early to mid-twenties, aren't they, with the likes of Josh Tung, Matt Potts, Ollie Robinson, who's come through in the past couple of years as well. So it is a shame, but obviously it's Yorkshire's gain. And aside from the White Rose, because I think it's safe to say that we are both very impressed with the way in which they did adapt to that situation in Chesterfield this week. Yes, they did make it a bit more difficult than it needed to be, but the important thing is they got the winning points, didn't they? That they required, they chased down those runs in the end. But aside from Yorkshire, I've got to say, Hyder Alley really impressed me because he's had a very rough start to life at Derbyshire in terms of performances, in particular in the county championship. So to see him apply himself in that partnership with Leas Deploy, which, Kieran, as you mentioned, it, it was a massive partnership, right? It was a 277 run stand for the fourth wickets. It was a mammoth partnership, but I I love the way in which he played his cricket this week because Hyder is someone who is almost in the Ed Pollock or Colin de Grandom kind of camp. So he needs to be scoring boundaries at, you know, constant rates in order to generate some rhythm in his game. But I thought in this particular encounter, he also showed a lot of of refrain. He showed some restraints. He showed control in his game. And for a young batter, that's what you want to see. And it's something which, again, was very refreshing to observe in this particular encounter. And uh, unfortunately, it wasn't a match-winning knock or a match-saving knock. But in terms of runs to his name, 146 of them, which did include 22 fours and two sixes, I think that is a massive step in the right direction for Hyder Ali. So shout out to Hyder Ali. And then, of course, Lair's deploy. We all know how, how excellent he is, the, the brand-new Derbyshire captain. Skipper in the side with 170 from 294 balls. Brilliant knock. But again, if we do look at the wider picture, I think Derbyshire probably, maybe along with Gloss, they are the first two counties who are probably outside of the promotion race now. Just looking at how things are stacking up. It hasn't been a great start to the season. Six matches, no wins, three draws, three losses. But again, if we are to draw some positives, if we are to flip this around in an optimistic manner, you do have to look at those performances from Laius and from Hyder Ali. And also Mark Watts claiming a maiden first-class fifer is also a massive thing to take forward. So again, Derbyshire do need to work on quite a lot in order to become competitive in the second division. But yeah, I must say I was very impressed in particular with Hyder Ali in Chesterfield this week. <laughs> just but... mentioned something, just, I've just remembered you talking about Hyder Ali there. Um, when Jordan Thompson was batting, um, he was fielding, obviously, Chesterfield's an outground, um, and there's, like, bushes or trees um, around the ground. And Jordan Thompson hit a six, and um, Derbyshire's commentator said something along the lines when Hyder Ali had to basically jump into a bush to go and collect it, that um, <laughs> the Pakistani overseas is delving into corners of Chesterfield that he never imagined existed, which I thought was just fantastic commentary so just wanted to to point that out because that it just made me giggle 
Fair enough. Uh, was that was that Fletch? Oh, I feel like yeah, that was Fletcher. I think, on, so. yeah. I think it was. That sounds like something that Dave Fletcher would say, to be honest. But yeah, he's gone from you know performing in front of massive crowds in the PSL to, as you said, <laughs> diving in a bush to find a red cricket ball in in Chesterfield. I love county cricket. I'm not sure if I make that <laughs> obvious enough, but <laughs> again, it's stories like that. It's piece of commentary like that which just make everything so much better and. Kieran, aside from that game then, because that was a thoroughly enjoyable game in Chesterfield this week, let's turn our attention to the West Country now, where Leicestershire beat Gloucestershire by five wickets at the seat unique county ground. Now, Gloucestershire won the toss and chose to have a bat first in this particular encounter, a decision which appeared to have paid off very, very nicely. As birthday boy Ollie Price, happy birthday Ollie, turned 22 on day one in this particular game, scored a career best 85 from 172 balls alongside Lancashire Loney, Danny Lamb, who chipped in with 70, to take the attack to the Leicestershire bowlers in excellent fashion and take the home side up to a more than competitive total of 368 all out by the end of their first innings. In response to this, Leicestershire themselves put up quite a good showing with the bat in hand in Bristol this week, as the captain, Lewis Hill, led from the front with an excellent 103 to take the visitors up to a competitive total of 350 all out by the conclusion of their innings late on the third day. Now, by this point in the game, a draw did seem almost inevitable. I've got to say, I thought this was destined for a draw. I never expected either side to get a result out of this. But just as you thought that this game would have ebbed and flowed into a draw, Chris Wright and the ever-impressive Callum Parkinson triggered an almighty collapse, which saw Gloucestershire fall from 144 for three to 202 all out by the end of their second innings. Now, Kieran, I've got to ask, in terms of Chris Wright and Callum Parkinson, these two have been so consistent for Leicestershire over the past three years. When you look at the wickets column, those two are right at the top. They've been ever so consistent for the running foxes. But in terms of that collapse, did you see that coming? Because to be honest, that came completely out of the blue. Don't get me wrong, I thought that Wright and Parkinson bowled very well but on that track, 202 all outs, it, I don't know, it did seem quite lowly, didn't it? Given the start which Gloucestershire had had earlier on in the innings. Yeah, the, the start that they had was obviously a good one. And just in reference to sort of the wider picture of the game, um, 368 in the first innings, Leicester at 350, as you say, looked like a fairly decent batting track. So yeah, a little bit of a of a weird one to, to collapse in, in that manner. But as you say, Claude, it's to um, Callum Parkinson and, and Chris Wright, who were the architects of that collapse. Um, you know, you can, you can only um, bowl at, at what's in front of you and, and on the deck that you've got. And um, even if it is a good batting track, you know, putting the ball in a good, good position um, and allowing it to, allowing yourself to, you know, be able to take wickets um even if it is a sort of does look a little bit of a weird collapse um it's still you know the bowlers have to be able to take wickets and and they managed to do that well they did and i think it goes to show doesn't it that you shouldn't give up in red ball cricket because things can change incredibly quickly that was over the course of 16 overs in the afternoon session this game was completely flipped on its head and on what was quite a good batting surface in Bristol, Leicestershire only required 221 runs in order to secure the victory. And to their immense credit, 
Rian Ahmed batting at three, which again, Kieran, I want to know your thoughts about. And Colin Ackerman made a really good go of it, didn't they? 78 not out for Ackerman, 71 for Ahmed. And ultimately, the Foxes chasing this down with five wickets still to spare over the course of just 42 overs. A really impressive victory. From what seemed to be a draw, Leicestershire completely flipped the scripts and ultimately gained a valuable 16 points as results of picking up the win. So, Kieran, I did just allude to it there, but Rian Ahmed, that innings, we know how talented he is, right? We've seen him go into the Test Arena, took that five for, didn't they, against Pakistan. We've seen him in, in white ball cricket with the ball in hand, with the googly. It's ever such a potent delivery. But I think back to an episode here on the podcast, which I did with Ali Maiden, right, who's now at Yorkshire, used to be involved in the Leicestershire Academy. And he said with Rian, don't just look at his bowling. This kid can bat. And he certainly can. I mean, he's got that lovely helicopter shot, hasn't he? I remember him bringing up a 50 with that particular shot in the Arsenal. But uh, again, this innings just showed great maturity. And it showed a great a great deal of, of cricketing ability as well with the willow in hand. So just a few words on Rian Ahmed, Kieran. 71 from 76 balls, 12 of which were fours and a six in there, thrown for good measure. How impressive was he? And would you keep him at number three for Leicestershire? I, firstly, I'm a big fan of the Ryan Armoured promotion to number three. They've essentially just given him the freedom, just gone, go out there and try and score runs as quickly as you can. And as we've seen previously, he, he plays very expansive cricket and um, he is the kind of player that if you give him the freedom to go out and do that, he looks like he's going to be able to do that. And obviously he did. Um, you also mentioned that, of course, that he um, he played test cricket for England. Um, he's played white ball cricket for, for England as well. But sort of specifically in terms of test cricket, knocks like this in, in count cricket for an 18-year-old, I assume he's still 18, um, he very... He fits the mould of um, Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum's England team very well. And having already been in the side, um, he, he's doing himself a lot a lot of good to keeping their plans for the future. Um, whether or not I'd keep him at three, I assume that Leicester should just wanted to get this game finished as, as quickly as possible um, without sort of running into the problems that if the day was going to end or whatever. Um, and... Um, Leicestershire have got a very good top to middle order um, above Ryan Ahmed um, Lewis Hill, Colin Ackerman and, and Peter Hanscom above him very difficult for anybody to sort of surpass any, any of those guys because those have all been very good this season but um, the fact that he's shown that he is capable of batting up the order sort of certainly isn't going to hurt his chances of doing so in the future no, it won't. And again, I can respect the adaptability of Leicestershire in this game. They, they saw the situation, they wanted it to be over quickly, and Rian delivered, didn't he? You know, he's a special talent, and again, we'll keep on saying it on the podcast, but keep a close eye on Rian Ahmed. He's such a good cricketer. And aside from Leicestershire then, Kieran, because we have spoken in depth there about the Foxes, and this is a huge victory because it puts them right back in the mix for that second promotion spot. As for Gloucestershire... Uh, again, I did allude to it earlier, but unfortunately, it does seem like already it's the end of the road for their promotion chances. 
in, in 2023. I mean, they've had no luck with the weather. Even this game, bear in mind that we've been basically cooking this week in 31, 32 degree weather, and it's still rained in Bristol. This was still a rain-affected game. They've had absolutely no luck. But in terms of things that they can take away from this game, Kieran, and things that they can build off of, obviously Ollie Price, I mentioned him. That was an excellent 85. I was gutted when he got out because that would have just been poetic, wouldn't it? Turns 22, scores his maiden century in first-class cricket. Would have been wonderful to see. But even aside from Ollie Price, you've got AJ Dale scoring a maiden 50 in first-class cricket. And Zaman Akhtar. The more that I see this guy in action, the more impressed I get. Again, he's another academy. He's another graduate of the South Asian Cricket Academy, Saka, as it's known. And he's just fitted into this side like a glove. He he took a very impressive forfer in that first innings against Leicestershire this week. So in terms of gloss, how do you assess their chances going forward? Do you agree that they're out of the promotion race or do you think they can salvage this maybe heading into the next few rounds? I don't know. It's tough because, yeah, as you say, they are they are down towards the bottom. They've not won a game yet, um, and they've not really shown like massive strides towards winning games. Um, as you say, um, Ollie Price is probably the the main standout from this game, but that shows um, progress. Um, you know, both sides of the ball. I just. Yeah, it, it seems difficult with the sides um, that they're up against in, in Division 2. I, I actually think this is a very strong Division 2 this season. Um, and even, you know, looking at the sides that, that are around them, Derbyshire aren't, aren't a bad side. Yorkshire have obviously had um, a tough start to the season. and Both sides have got um, a game still to play. Um, so I would say, yeah, the Gloucester's chances of of getting off the, not on the foot of the table, but but essentially the foot of the table probably aren't fantastic, but there are still positives to take from this game, as you say. So, um, you know, they, they could certainly win a game or two. I don't think they're going to be winless throughout the season, um, but they, yeah, their chances of climbing massively up the table probably aren't fantastic, I wouldn't have thought. No, they're not. And again, it's a massive shame because I tip Gloucestershire for promotion and I still think they've got some excellent young players. I still think that they can produce some some big performances in Red Bull cricket this season, but they just need a bit of luck. And again, it's a shame that they collapsed in this, in this particular encounter, but I think you have to give credit to Leicestershire. They've produced the goods yet again. And after a very disappointing 2022, it's been a great start to the season for the East Midlands County. So, We'll have to wait and see what happens, but again, it's a really interesting promotion race, isn't it, Kieran? As you said, I don't think there is a single poor team in the second division. And and talking of the promotion race, that brings us beautifully onto our next game in Division 2 this week, which saw Sussex and Worcestershire playing out a thrilling draw at the first central ground down in Hove. Now, Worcestershire won the toss, opted to have a bowl first in this game, and to be honest, this appeared to have paid off quite nicely until the Sussex middle to lower order trio of Ollie Carter, Nathan McAndrew and Jack Carson all of a sudden just kept on smacking boundaries. Carter scored 76, McAndrew scoring 65 and Carson scoring 64 as Sussex recovered from 142 for 6 to a more than competitive total of 348 all out by the conclusion of their first innings. 
Now, in response to this, Kieran, this is where I want to bring up our, our first question when it comes to this game. Worcestershire got off to an excellent start, didn't they? So they were 108 for one within the first 28 overs of their first innings. And I suppose the main man in this particular innings for Worcestershire County Cricket Club was Jake Libby, who ultimately ended up amassing 198 from 261 deliveries to take the pairs up to a commanding total of 410 all out by the end of that particular inning. So my, my question when it comes to this game is about Jake Libby. Do you think, given the state of England's opening conundrum, right, which unfortunately does seem to be the question in more years than, than not, but is he an outside chance, do you think, for England's selection, given the fact that he is such a prolific run scorer at the top of the innings for Worcestershire? Um. Well, I mean, certainly last season they, they plucked somebody out of Division Two in um, Ben Duckett. Is obviously playing in Division One now, but I don't think it it hurts anybody's chances anymore to to not be playing in Division One. Um, so, you know, if, if there are players such as Jake Libby who are performing week in week out, then I certainly don't think that England would overlook them. Um, I think also that you have to look at. Um, I think there's a reason why why Ben Compton um, potentially hasn't been been picked yet. In in that um, he's more of a conventional opener um, where he doesn't score at the rate that England want. I mean, you, you can't argue with Jake Libby's 198, um, and and I don't think anybody anybody really expects um, you to hit 198 in. 200 balls or whatever rather than 261 because striking at 75 is still still very good but it wouldn't surprise me if England were to um, only look at players who basically score run a ball if not better innings at, at the moment because that's the sort of exciting brand of cricket that, that they want to play um, Jake Libby certainly has that in the locker um, so potentially I've, I've essentially just answered this question with um, without answering it um <laughs> maybe i don't know well that's the problem isn't it i mean if we are to give some balance I, I suppose in in years gone by he would be right up there but again maybe it is his strike rate so this season he has scored 536 runs excellent average of 59.55 but the strike rate is 60.56 which i suppose for this modern era given the baseball revolution of red ball cricket in this country maybe it isn't enough in terms of the strike rate, but in terms of talent, he's got absolute bucket loads. So shout out to Jake Libby. Uh, I thought he was absolutely superb on the South Coast this week. And just talking of someone else who I've got so much time for in county cricket, this time from a Sussex perspective, Tom Alsop. He has just gone from strength to strength in a Sussex shirt across all three formats. And that 100 not outs as the captain of the side in Chiteshwa Pajara's absence was just phenomenal. It, it really was. Led from the fronts, dug in, battled away. Tom Haynes as well, 91 from 96, including 18 fours. I thought those two in particular were exceptional. And as a result of those two knocks, as well as a quick fire 54 courtesy of Finn Hudson Prentice, and another 50 plus score from Jack Carson, this time 75 from 100 deliveries ultimately took Sussex up to a very, very challenging score of 447 for 7 declared 
by the end of their second inning. So as a result of those knocks, Worcestershire had a bit of a mountain to climb. 386 runs was the target in Hove this week. And to give Worcestershire County Cricket Club an immense amount of credit, they gave this an excellent go. So Jake Libby yet again showing that form, that resolve, that excellent bit of class that he possesses. Scoring 97 from 132. Azarali, the Pakistani international, scored 101 from 164. And then knocks on Jack Haynes and Adam Hose. Set this game up masterfully. It was absolutely thrilling. And this game came down to the final over. But to give Nathan McAndrew an awful immense of credit, he really did provide a bowling masterclass in that final over. So given the fact that he adds, I think it was about seven, was it seven or eight runs? Eight runs to defend in that final over. And to give him a lot of credit, he only conceded five. So in the end, this thrilling game of crickets between Sussex and Worcestershire, it could have gone either way. And honestly, when there are about five overs left, I thought this was Worcestershire's to win. I thought they are going to win this quite comfortably. But to give him so much plaudits, Nathan McAndrew kept his call. You know, that, that's the difference with McAndrew. He's a white ball veteran in Australia. He's played for the Sydney Thunder for a number of years in the Big Bash. And he just bowled a really good final over. As I said, he got Osama Mir out with the first ball. Then, in terms of the rest of the over, conceded just three runs. So, fair play to Macca and fair play to Sussex because those could be five massive points, couldn't they? Again, we look at how tight that Division 2 promotion race is. Those could be huge in the long run. So, again, fair play to both sides. A thoroughly entertaining game of cricket. I absolutely love that game. And to be honest, yeah, more of the same place from both Sussex and Worcestershire. I think it's safe to say that they entertained us at the first Central County ground in Hove in the eighth round. But Kieran, aside then from that remarkable encounter between Sussex and Worcestershire, let's turn our attention to the eighth and final game of the eighth round, which took place in Chester Street, as Durham and Glamorgan played out a high-scoring draw at the Riverside. Now, Glamorgan won the toss and chose to have a bat first in this game, a decision which, for all intents and purposes, appeared to have paid off very nicely in the early exchanges of this game, as standing captain Kieran Carlson amassed a simply scintillating 162 from just 213 deliveries to help launch the Welsh County up to a sizeable total of 390 all-out by the end of their first innings. In reply to this effort, however, Durham flexed their batting credentials in quite ruthless fashion, as a masterful 152 courtesy of South African batter David Beddingham and a barnstorming 102 from 97 balls provided by Ollie Robinson ultimately helped take the home side up to a monumental first innings total of 630 all-out by the culmination of their 148.4 overs. So, Kieran, I've got to ask, Durham's batting, it has been impressive all season long, hasn't it? When you look at the points table in the second division, 26 batting bonus points. And you look at the, the contributions in this particular game at the Riverside this week. I've mentioned that 152 from David Beddingham, the 100 from Ollie Robinson. You had that career best 85 from Baz Delady. You've got a contribution of 80 from 140 balls courtesy of Graham Clark. And then even the tail wag, didn't it? You know, Ajaz Patel and Loney Craig Miles both scoring 30-plus scores to get them up to this massive total. So in terms of Durham's batting, 
Just a few words. How impressed were you with that particular effort on home soil this week? The, the yeah, their, their batting lineup is probably the strongest in the division, and that sort of shows why they're the top top of the division. Um, it's not difficult to see that hitting a lot of runs, um, you know, wins you a lot of games. Um, Alex Lees has been very good all season. Um, obviously, David Benningham's put in a good performance here. Ollie Robinson, we've mentioned countless times. It feels like this season that he always seems to be getting runs. Um, had a good. T20 block as well. Graham Clark um, has had a good season so far to this point. Really impressed with with Bastelada, um, given that he he literally played uh, I think four first class games in his career now um, because first class cricket just doesn't exist in the Netherlands, um, which you know might make it seem like it was a it, it was a weird choice to sign him and um, deploy him in the. Um, County Championship, but it's uh, paying dividends for them, and it just lengthens the the batting order when you've got an all all rounder um, batting where he is and, and scoring runs. But as you said as well, that the tail wagged. Um, ben Rains hit some useful runs this season. Ajaz Patel can obviously bat, and then Craig Miles as well. Um, it just shows that the strength as as a unit of the batting lineup that they managed to amass. A frankly ridiculous score of 630, um, which obviously it's not easy to hit that many runs. Um, no matter who who you're playing against, what team you are, um, I know there was there was a lot of runs scored in this game, so you would assume it was probably a decent batting deck. But still, 630 is a huge number. It is, and, and again, they just flex the muscles yet again. In Division 2, I mean, Durham looks so good. They are the out-and-out favourites, I think, for the division now because even in these big games, they are producing big performances. And again, when you're scoring 630 runs, you're just not going to lose a game of cricket. Far too many runs on the board. And to be honest, this is where I've got to give Glamorgan a tremendous amount of credit because 240 runs, even on a good batting track, is a sizable deficit, isn't it? Let's face it, we mentioned that with Nottinghamshire earlier. And yet I thought Glamorgan actually applied themselves very, very nicely. And that began right at the top with Zainal Hassan and Andy Salter. Because those two, I thought they got them off to a great start. And Zainal Hassan is really impressing me with both his attack and his defence. He's still a little bit raw. He still does float the bat out a little bit, which is something which in first-class crickets, it can be to your detriment. And he has been getting out via those dismissals. But I'll tell you what, I like the initial signs of Zainal Hassan. As an opener for Glamorgan County Cricket Club, I think he's been excellent in David Lloyd's absence. And even aside from those two, obviously the main man of the moment was Chris Cook. 134 outs from 224 deliveries, spent 290 minutes at the crease, just dug in there like an absolute gladiator, and through blood, sweat and tears, just ebbed away at that Durham bowling attack. A very good attack at that, it has to be said. So, again, I have to give tremendous credit to Glamorgan for the way in which they applied themselves in that second innings. Tim van der Hoekten as well, 157 minutes of the crease for his 52 not out. So, again, this was a great game of cricket. I know I've said that for basically all eight of these encounters, but it really was. You know, this game had me hooked. And in particular... In particular, it's Glamorgan's batting in that second innings, which really impressed me because they chipped away, they chipped away, they batted for 118 overs 
against a very good Durham bowling attack. So I know that Durham will probably be a little bit disappointed given the fact that they did have such a big lead. They were in a commanding position to go on and win this game. But Glamorgan, again, they are showing their credentials as an out-and-out promotion candidate in the second division. And yet again, that mix of top-order runs, laying that foundation, supplemented by middle-order contributions from the likes of Kieran Carlson and the likes of Chris Cook, it does go to show just how dangerous this Glamorgan side truly are. So, yet another brilliant game of crickets. There's not too much that I really want to add, to be honest, Kieran, because both these sides, we've discussed an awful lot. I think Durham have really surpassed expectations. They look pretty much nailed on, don't they, for promotion this season. And Glamorgan, yet again, these are five massive points. In what is such a tight division, they've they've battled away, they've grinded away at those Durham bowlers, and ultimately, they've helped salvage very, very valuable points there. Those five points could be the difference between being in Division 1 next season and staying in Division 2. So, again, fair play to both sides. I was thoroughly impressed as a neutral watching that game on the Durham livestream this week. But as a result then, of that thrilling draw between those two sides up at the Riverside, let's have a look at how the Division 2 table is shaping up at the end of the eighth round. So at the top of the table are Durham County Cricket Club on 118 points. As I mentioned, 26 batting bonus points to go with 19 bowling points as well. Absolutely fantastic from Durham so far this season. Fingers crossed that they can keep this hot streak up. In second on 86 points are Sussex. In third, on 85 points, are the Foxes of Leicestershire County Cricket Club. In fourth, on 78 points, are Worcestershire. In fifth, on 76 points, are Glamorgan. In sixth, are Yorkshire on 55 points, with a game in hand over the sides above them. In seventh, are Gloucestershire, still winless after seven matches, on 48 points. And in eighth and bottom place of the second division, after eight rounds, are Derbyshire County Cricket Club on 40 points with a game in hand. So a a bit like the first division, Division 2 really is shaping up to be very, very competitive. I think the promotion race is anybody's game. I think Durham are the front runners, and to be completely honest, as long as they keep up these batting performances, they will be in the first division next season. As for that second promotion place, (laughs) could be anybody, could literally be anybody. Leicestershire have been impressive, Sussex have been impressive, Worcestershire and Glamorgan continue to impress me with the bat in hand. So, again, it's anybody's game. And if you aren't watching the county championship this summer, I cannot implore you enough to either go down to your local ground and watch a county or just watch it on the stream or listen to it on the BBC. Because if you're not, you're missing out. This is A-grade cricket. It's competitive. It's fascinating. It's enthralling. It's gripping red ball cricketing action at its very best. And the eighth round, I've got to say has been thoroughly enjoyable. There are things in this podcast, we've been going almost for 100 minutes now, that we've not even touched upon. We'll probably have to shift that over to next week's show, such is the the magnitude of the events that have happened over the course of this round and the, the level of performances that we've seen. So all I've got to say for all of the counties involved in the ninth round, keep this up, because as a spectator, it's great to watch. And as I said, across both divisions, I don't think it's... It's closed off. I really don't. Anybody is still there for both division titles. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. But yeah, I've got to say that, personally speaking, very, very impressed with the county championship yet again. 
in the eighth round. But that is essentially it from myself and Kieran for tonight's episode of the Cows Cricket Podcast. To all of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.